Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So you might as well just come out and say what you're, what's your feeling at some point in time, because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. On the show today, we are going to talk about play calling. Yes, play calling. Everyone loves play calling. Uh, My thoughts on how Brad Salem is doing as a play caller and some complaints that I've heard or fielded uh, about play calling and just sort of my uh, my thoughts on that. After that, after we talk about play calling, I want to talk to you guys about something that I think is a little under the radar, but is a huge shift on the offense with the offense that took place just this last week and how I think it can pay huge dividends for Michigan State if it's the new normal, and we'll obviously have to wait and see how the next few games play out, but there's something really promising there. It's not just the red zone, the the finishing drives against the good defense. It's not just that. There's something a little bit deeper, a little bit more below the surface that I want to talk about, and then segment three, Matt Hepner from The Only Colors is going to join us. He's got his film room piece up at uh, at The Only Colors, and we talk about Uh, what Michigan State did to make them successful in the red zone and just kind of where we're at with this offense moving forward and the team uh, in general as, you know, they're kind of a a third of the way through the regular season here. So that's the plan for today's show. Again, thanks so much to all of you guys for tuning in uh, to these daily episodes of Lockdown Spartans. Do them every single day, five days a week, half an hour episodes dedicated to the world of Michigan State football and basketball. And reminder, rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day, and you can find us wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's talk about play calling. Okay, so we're four games into Brad Salem's time as an offensive coordinator, and I always want to remind everybody that, you know, four games into something, four opportunities into being a play caller at this level, you know, he called plays as a head coach in D2. And this is different because you're handling different responsibilities. You're going up against much better opponents and you have much better players at your disposal. And that was a decade ago that he was doing that. So he's four games in. And I just always like to remind people that that's not a lot of time. Uh, That's not a huge tenure. The book on him as an offensive coordinator hasn't been written yet. It won't be written by the end of the season. Uh, You know, this sort of stuff takes time. It's a learned skill like anything. You got to figure out what works, what doesn't work, how to react within a game. And it's just, I can't even imagine the learning curve for that. So 
I always like to keep that in context when I'm making an evaluation, when I'm trying to think, all right, what has Salem done that has been good? What has he done that's been bad? Where has he improved so far? Where is there still room for improvement? And overall, uh, against Northwestern, I thought he called a really good game. There were a number of plays that watching the game back, I looked at them and looked how Michigan State was aligning, how they were, um, you know, matching up with a certain look. And that stuff is, you know, film study tendencies and the play call that was, you know, used to take advantage of that. And there were a lot of times that I would just kind of was like, okay, that was really smart. That was really well done. Um, that two minute drive the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, that third and one, third and one and a half. Michigan State lines up in a spread formation and just runs inside zone uh, because they had a five-man box. And that's just a smart play call in that spot. It's a good job. I'm sure there was an ability to check out of it had Northwestern shown a seven-man box. But based on formation and based on time left in the half and situation, um, Odds are you're going to get a light box there, and they ran zone with Connor Hayward, and he got nine easy yards. He wasn't touched until he was like three or four yards past the first down marker, kept the drive alive, and led to Michigan State scoring a touchdown. Uh, Stuff like that. There's a lot of it, a lot of really smart play calls, and I thought overall it was a really well-called game, and I thought you know throughout the span of the entire season, for the most part, he's done a pretty good job. Now, there were some things that I didn't love, Uh, The jet sweep is the one play that really sticks out from this last game. Uh, The fourth and one power from Arizona State that got stuffed. You you didn't love that. So there's certainly been some spots where, you know, he needs to get better. But in terms of this specific game, even the, the drives in the first half, and I was having a back and forth with somebody on Twitter about this, Uh, just about bad play calls resulting in in drives ending, you know, bad play calls on second down resulting in in a third down. And Michigan State scores on the first drive. The second drive, they're in second and 17 uh, because of a sack and a false start. And then the drive after that is the Connor Hayward illegal block penalty. Uh, So you're set up first and 25, then second and 30 after they lose five yards on an inside zone read where – the guard got absolutely destroyed and the play got blown up. So uh, those specific instances, like in the first half when drives were stalling out against Northwestern, I know like we'd like to, because of (laughs) some of the futility we've had at offensive coordinator over the years, and Dave Warner had his moments, but there were definitely times where he was just calling bad games. And Dan Rauscher got this way uh, as well towards the end of his tenure here. Um, there were, you know, we're just sort of like, we, we react immediately towards the play caller when things go wrong. We, we like to look immediately at a play call and see like it, it went bad. This play didn't work. It's the play calls fault. And I just didn't think that was the case in this game kind of at all. Uh, I thought, you know, the play calling was good when you're in second and 17 from your own eight. That's a spot where you're just trying to punt the ball. And I told that to the person I was talking with. I'm like, oh, they could have punted on second and 17 from their own eight, and I would have been okay with it. Um, but I think right now, the point of all this is through four games, yes, there were a couple of really frustrating offensive performances in it. 
But through four games, I think, uh, in my opinion, and you don't have to share this opinion, but this is my opinion, that Brad Salem has shown enough that I believe he is a capable offensive coordinator. I think he's smart. I think he makes good adjustments. I think he's done a really good job finding what Michigan State does and doing it over and over again in different looks until, you know, until it doesn't work. Michigan State has really learned uh, inside zone, inside zone read and RPOs off of it. It's kind of become their bread and butter and their staple. And they didn't, they ran like six zone plays against Tulsa. And now they, they've completely flipped that and they run maybe six power plays in a game and 20 or so zone plays in a game in terms of run. Um, that is good. That's a good sign. That's a smart offensive coordinator being able to look in the mirror, look at the numbers, look at the play calls and say, what are we doing well? How can we do that more, more effectively and do it better? And I think just through four games here, like I said, there's been enough positive that I think it's going to work out. There's going to be bad calls here or there. There might be a a poorly called game. But overall, I think uh, Brad Salem is up to the task and so far uh, has been passing. There's been times where he hasn't done a good job, uh, but there's been more times, honestly, this year that the reason things didn't work out is, uh, is execution is not to put everything on the players, but miss blocks, penalties, false starts, holding in the wrong spot. And, and I've gone over a ton of it on the show and at Spartans wire. And yes, there have been bad play calls, but I think a lot less, certainly a lot less than we've seen in the past four, five, six, seven years. And I think that's something that leaves reason to be optimistic. I also had another email that I want to get to address real quick. It was about the end of the game and the play calling at the end of the game, how Michigan State just went three runs and punted two times in a row with the backups. And I think the thinking behind that, I didn't love it. I never loved that. Although, you know, it's 31 to three at that point. So we're just trying to run the clock and get out of there. But I would rather, you know, backups get some different chances to do things. You know, Rocky Lombardi's thrown plenty, uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing him throw a little bit. I wouldn't mind Devontae Dobbs, uh, Nick Samak getting in some pass protection, trying to convert, keep the ball and move the chains that way so the defense doesn't have to keep going back out there. Um, But I think for the most part, you know, if that is a complaint that we're having about play calling is I don't like what they do when they're up 31 to three at the end of the game, I think we're in a pretty good spot and it's not a major gripe and I get it. It's kind of a, a frustrating thing, but I think if that's the biggest play calling issue we've got aside from a, an occasional jet sweep here or there, we're in a pretty good place. Uh, and I, I think, you know, yeah, the end of the game wasn't beautiful the way Michigan State handled it on offense. They were just like, here, you take the ball. Let's get out of here. But Northwestern wasn't playing along either. And I think maybe if they had a chance to sort of take it back, given how Northwestern just tried to keep their foot on the gas at the end of the game, despite getting blown out, Michigan State might have handled things differently um, with their last offensive series there. All right. Going to take a quick moment here. And then when we get back, I want to talk to you guys about what I think is a just a massive and really significant change. So we'll do that here in a minute. Guys, make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. 
Go to the Vivid Seats app, enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That is promo code KICKOFF100 to receive a discount of up to $100. Okay, so a lot of people, probably myself included, would say the biggest difference in that game, the biggest takeaway from Michigan State beating Northwestern is the red zone production. And that's fair. After a week of futility and plus territory, totally flipped the script against a good defense on the road and got it done and scored touchdowns. And that's huge. That's really important moving forward. And I, I, I get it. That is, yeah, that's the big takeaway, certainly. But I think there's something a little bit more under the surface that is just as important, if not more important, than what happened with that. And it has to do with tendencies and formations and being predictable. And so I sent out a tweet. Uh, I think I did this. Yeah, I did this after the Arizona State game because I was just kind of curious. It, it felt like, you know, we know Michigan State has kind of moved away from the fullback. They've moved away from tight sets, uh, heavy sets, as much as they, they've done in the past. There's a, there's a little bit more 11 personnel, a little bit more 12 personnel, and the 12 personnel is a little bit more spread out. So they've just kind of gradually moved further and further away from center and, and become more of a spread team. And as I was, you know, going through this, it, it was like, man, I've, it feels like every time they're in 12 personnel, they run. And every time they're in 11 personnel, they throw. Not every, oh, excuse me. I don't even know what that was. That was like a crazy hiccup yawn that just attacked me. <laughs> not every time, obviously. They're not running 100% of the time when they have two tight ends. They're not throwing 100% of the time when they have 11. But I did some digging and I, I did a little bit of research and I looked back at the Western Michigan game and the Arizona State game and I found that yeah based on formation Michigan State was entirely too predictable uh, with their play calling if they were in 11 personnel so three wide receiver spread sets or more spread four wide receiver empty set etc they passed 76% of the time against Arizona State and they ran it out of those sets 24% of the time when they were 12 or heavier two tight ends or you know more basically two wide receivers or less, they passed 26% of the time against Arizona State, and they ran it 74% of the time. Uh, against Arizona State, if there were two tight ends on the field, Michigan State was running 74% of the time. That is a lot. Against Western, spread formation pass, 70%. Spread formation run, 30%. Heavier formation pass, 33%. Heavy formation run, 67%. So, between those two games, when Michigan State had two tight ends on the field, there was like a, a 71% chance they were going to run the ball. That is crazy predictable. Like, that is, if I'm picking up on that, any defensive coordinator, any defensive staff member worth their salt is picking up on that, and that's easy. That is such an easy thing, and you could probably break it down by down and distance, which I didn't do. I probably could have, but like, I bet you in first down, if Michigan State had two tight ends in the field, they're running like 85% of the time, 80% of the time. That is just too predictable. That's too easy for a defense and vice versa. If you're spread out um, on second down, they're probably passing 75 to 80% of the time out of those formations, which is, again, way too predictable, way too easy for a defense to just spot on film and have great tendencies to be able to build their defense around. And that's 
Michigan State, that's been an issue with Michigan State for as long as I can remember paying attention to them. The predictability based on formation and down and distance. And that is something that was a little bit concerning to me. Uh, even after like the Western game, uh, even after I was still optimistic after the Arizona State game because they moved the ball. Yes, they didn't score, but they moved the ball really well against a great defense. All of that was like, man, but they are still way too predictable. And they figured it out. <laughs> For one game at least, they absolutely figured it out. And while I was charting this game, I was totally stunned while I was marking down these plays. So in spread formations, 11 personnel or more spread, they passed 56.5% of the time. They ran it 43.5% of the time against Northwestern. That's, you know, 56.5 is down from 76. 43.5 is up from 24%. Um, 12 or heavier formation. So two tight end sets, they threw the ball 58% of the time out of 12 formation, two tight end sets. That's compared to, you know, 30-ish percent, 25 to 30% in the other games. Like that is a complete reversal. And of course they ran out of these heavy sets 42% of the time. I've been screaming from the rooftops that they need to run the ball more out of spread formations, and they pretty much doubled the rate, not quite, but you know, 1.7 times the rate that they've been doing that in previous games against Northwestern. That is awesome to see. Then they flipped. They went so far with the 12 personnel plays that they flipped 60%, 58% of their heavy two tight end sets were pass plays. That's awesome. I don't mind two tight end sets. I don't mind 12 personnel. I think there's a million different things you can do with it creatively, whether you split somebody out, whether you use someone as an H-back, whether you do a trips bunch formation, like the LA Rams just freaking make a killing off of. There are a ton of ways to use two tight ends really creatively and effectively, but if you're running the ball 75% of the time when you have two tight ends on the field, you can't do a damn thing that's going to be creative enough to overcome those tendencies. It just puts you behind the eight ball so much. And for them to just completely flip that, um, I don't know if it was an accident. I like to think that numbers that severe. Yes, it's a one game sample size. Yes, it could go immediately back against Indiana. But that big of a change leads me to believe that they had to have noticed this, that they had to have picked up on the same stuff that I was picking up, they are entirely too predictable based on formation, and they changed it. And that's I, I just with like man, twenty four percent of the time they are running on the spread. Now it's forty four percent, twenty percent. Like that is a crazy increase. It's almost a, almost a doubling of runs out of spread formations, and they're super successful when they run out of spread formations. I've been tweeting about it, putting up stats, all sorts of things. When they spread teams out, they run zone. Eli Collins just carves people up on the ground and they're realizing it. They're learning and that's really awesome. And if they can continue to do this, where the next game against Indiana, say it's 50-50 on both. 50% of the time they're in spread, they pass 50, they run heavier formations, they they pass 50%, they run 50%. That'd be awesome. Even if it itches back towards, you know, the original numbers, closer towards that where you're running more out of heavier stuff and passing more out of spread stuff, and then you can flip it back against Ohio State into the other direction, then you're keeping teams off balance. That's the thing here. It's just not doing the same thing 
every single week based on formation and play call is a really simple way to keep teams off balance. Because if they're going well, you know, this game, 70% of the time they're in 11, they ran it. Then the next game, they were in 11, you know, and, and threw it 70% of the time. Then it was 50-50. Then it was 40-60. Now it's 30-70 again. We don't know what they're going to do against us. And that is such a simple way to keep a defense off balance, to make the life of a defensive coordinator that much harder, is to keep yourself unpredictable based on your personnel, the formations you use, and the play calls that go with them. The more you can diversify with that, the more you can change things up with that, the better it's going to be for the offense. And yes, the red zone production was huge. Great to see it. So happy. Brian Lewerke looked awesome in the red zone. Good to see tight ends get some touchdowns. Good to see Eli get himself back in the end zone. That's all awesome. But I am so fired up and excited about the prospect that they have cracked this code that I've been trying to get out there. Like Not just because it's my idea and it's not my idea, just because I found it and put it out there. It's not that. It's just a key to being really good on offense, to make life easier for your offense. And it seems like they figured it out and we'll see what they do against Indiana. I'm excited. I'm actually excited to chart the game against Indiana and see how they do as it relates to spread formations and and run pass percentages, heavy formations, run pass percentages, because if they keep doing this, if they're keeping me off balance, if I can't tell while I'm watching the game, what they're doing, like that's really good. That bodes well. If I'm charting games and I'm surprised, like, wow, they ran it that often out of spread formations, that bodes well for this offense moving forward. Okay, Matt Hapner is going to join us here in just a minute. Uh, We talk about the red zone success, a couple specific plays, why they worked. Uh, We talk about tight ends. Uh, We talk about this offense, where it's at right now, our confidence level and confidence level in the team moving forward. So Matt will join us here in just a minute. All right, we are joined now by Matt Hepner from The Only Colors. Happy to be joined by Matt, regular guest on the show. He usually comes on and discusses his film room piece. But last week we did mascot fights. I think it went a lot better. And I, I think we got a good result out of that, both in the podcast and with the field, uh, like the, with the performance of the offense, right, Matt? Yeah, I think uh, it really uh, was a good a good change up. And, and I think... Uh, we we should get some credit for uh, everything working out better this week. <laughs> we absolutely should. A uh, little bit happier times, a little bit better performance to talk about, at least on the offensive end. And I want to start with the red zone because in your film room piece, you focused in on a few plays, but a couple of them um, were, you know, red zone opportunities that Michigan State converted. And that might have been, in terms of production, the single biggest difference between the Arizona State game and the Northwestern game. So just what did you think of MSU's approach in the red zone? Obviously it was successful, but what did you think of like the process of what they were trying to get done? I mean, I think overall the process and, and the, the looks and the variety and everything that they, they brought to the table against Northwestern down in the red zone and, and in the you know, goal-to-ghost situation specifically, it was all really good. And it was, you know, the kind of stuff we've been talking about that they, they need to do and, you know, not be as predictable and, and show the obvious things over and over. And, uh, and you know, actually something that you saw happen 
and it, it's interesting that it happened in this game, was you saw a tight end step up and make yeah. some plays in the red zone. <laughs> and this is something that used to be a staple for Michigan State's offense back when it was going well. You know, tight ends for days under D'Antonio until recently where the well has kind of dried up. It's, it's you know, newly now back on scholarship Matt Seibert getting the job done this last week. And, I mean, if someone's got to do it, like, might as well be him. But there was a lot, just a lot of different good stuff from them offensively in the red zone. And like you said, it was the key this week. They had to, they didn't finish drives last week. They only had a couple red zone chances, but they didn't finish drives. This week, once they got the offense moving, it kept moving. Now, it had a hard time getting going a few for a little while, but once it was moving, it it stayed moving. Yeah, for sure. And and really with the tight ends, um, not to take anything away from Seibert, he did his job, but like one thing about having a tight end or a couple tight ends that you can get out in the field, can catch the ball and can get up field, like just like sort of someone who can make plays is that they can be used for misdirection type things, mismatches, like the first play uh, you, you graphed up is basically a, like a rub under combo that Noah Davis ran with Seibert and they release together in like a stack formation. And then Noah Davis just basically crashes into the two defenders and Seibert comes underneath them. And you need two tight ends to be able to kind of pull it off from where they're lined up. And that's just like, whether it's Dotson comes back uh, healthy and ready to go or Seibert keeps stepping up or Trenton Gillison keeps sort of developing or even Noah Davis, like just having a couple of guys there that you can throw it in routes and do different things. Like we saw how important that can be to just finishing drives and they don't even have to make like superstar plays. Like they just have to like execute really cleverly designed things that you, you need good tight ends to be able to do. Absolutely. And and I don't know if, if, you know, it's a case of, you know, guys, you know, the, the routes weren't there or they weren't being called or they didn't have the trust in the guys, but like that, that, that play that you were talking about that I uh, was, I had the second or third one that I drew up in the piece, you know, with the rub route, it, that, that's something that they ran with, Josiah Price and, and Lyles back in the day all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, is, this isn't a new thing that they're working in. This is something that was effective in the past, and maybe they're, they're showing it out of a little bit of a different set now than they were in the past. Yeah. But, but the concept is the same, and it's something that they've used and was terribly effective. I mean, I, I've said for the last couple of years, one of the biggest you know, problems with the red zone is that they haven't had a tight end step up and become a red zone threat because that's something that they've always had. Yeah, it was really nice to see that production. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe Dotson sees that and goes, I need to step my game up a little bit. And everyone just sort of, you get like a group, a tight end group that's just kind of feeding off each other. As this offense is now through four games, like what is your general assessment of it? Um, you know, I, I think my hot take this week has been like, hey guys, it's just a decent offense. It's not bad. It's not great. They're just kind of middle of the pack, and I think they can do enough to be sort of that complimentary piece for this defense to win a ton of games. Where are you at uh, with this offense right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I, I feel like the, the overall picture is uh, maybe something that you kind of need to look – because it, it's really been an up-and-down yeah. game-by-game thing that we've seen in terms of the points – 
specifically, which, let's be honest, is the most important thing, because if you lose the scoreboard, you'll lose the game. But, you know, you the, the yards have been there at times. There have been... There have been really good signs. And, I mean, look, like, on the whole, I think that what you're seeing from the offense this year is different. It, there is – they're doing different things. They're adjusting. They're they're moving in, the, in a direction that we've been saying they needed to go in. And they're doing that. And I think that it's – everyone's still kind of getting used to it. And I think that they the, – the coaches also had to kind of convince themselves that this was the way to go, especially after – Tulsa yeah but I I think there's a lot of good parts there there's a lot of good things that are being done they just kind of have to you know put it together in a way to be more consistent you know this week they finished the drives last week you know they they were always getting you know at least a couple of first downs it seemed like on every possession it just then it would stall out this week you know they had a extended stretch in the first half where they didn't get any first down. It seemed like everything was three and out in between the first drive of the half and the last drive of the half. So they got to kind of put everything together and look, you're not going to score on every drive, but you can't have those big lulls that they have had either scoring or, you know, just moving the ball at all. Yeah. They've been much more uh, efficient this year. Not really explosive outside of really the, the, the Western Michigan game, but they have been much more efficient just in terms of, you know, yards for play and per play efficiency and running the ball, especially has been absolutely massive for them. Last thing here, and then we'll get you out of here where, I mean, where's your confidence level overall with this team as compared to how it was at the start of the season? Because I think this is a good sort of check-in place, you know, got one more game, then the Big Ten really heats up. Uh, are you kind of like, where do you think this team slots in in the entire conference in the Big Ten East? And how does that sort of compare? Because I'm starting to find myself feeling more optimistic than I was because, we're, like you said, we're seeing those elements of change. And whether it's just taking time for them to fully buy in or they're self scouting and figuring out, okay, we're better when we do this, let's run that more. Uh, there, there just seems to be like positive change in an appropriate direction that makes sense. And I'm starting to kind of buy into this. Um, where are you at as it relates to kind of all of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, if where I'm at right now is any all or all that different than where I was at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. I I'm, have been encouraged and discouraged with, sure. <laughs> with what we've seen kind of at, at different points. I, but like I said a, a minute ago, you know, the, the overall, I think, look of the offense is encouraging. And, and one thing that has emerged that we did not really know and was a big question mark at the start of the season was we got ourselves a running back. Yes. So that is going to, I think, help a lot and yes. alleviate a lot of some of the concerns and take a lot of the pressure off of, of Brian Lewerke specifically to have to be the only guy out there making plays. So. I think that's that's a big change, and I that that just Collins himself leads me to be a lot more positive about things. And kind of looking at the way the rest of the conference is shaken out, like I don't think that my my opinion of where we're at is all that different than where it was at the beginning of the year. Like I, I think that you know from here on out, we got a pretty good shot in almost every game we're playing because our defense is that good. Yeah, the offense can just get a little bit going. But I got to tell you, like you know. 
that game in Madison now looks really daunting yes. as to the way they've started the year as opposed to, you know, hey, you know, Wisconsin, it's always tough to play there, but we might be able to get them. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that game got harder. Maybe the Michigan game, like they flip-flopped almost. The Michigan and Wisconsin game kind of flip-flopped here through the season. That's going to be super interesting, though, with that defense because, man, if Michigan State's offense can get 28, on Ohio State, twenty-eight on Wisconsin, uh, they can absolutely win those games. And absolutely, it depends which offense kind of shows up. Is it the Jekyll or the Hyde? Um, but I think we've been seeing more uh, positive stuff of late. You know, this, like this game going on the road against Northwestern, scoring thirty-one on the road against a good defense. Like that's a nice little stepping stone. It reminds me mm-hmm. a little bit of that Iowa game in twenty thirteen. Not to keep invoking that season but you can draw some parallels there um all right that's gonna do it for our time here with matt as always thanks so much uh for making the time check out his work theonlycolors.com uh you got special teams preview coming up and then get to know the opponent correct i think i'm finally remembered what the things you write every week are yeah get to know the opponent will be tomorrow special teams on thursday so Perfect. All right, Matt, as always, thanks for the time, and we will catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Matt for joining the show. Always appreciate talking football with him and getting his smart perspective on the games. That's going to do it for today's show. Join us tomorrow. Uh, We will have, you know, a little bit of a primer on Indiana. They are better at football than you guys may think. Uh, Nathaniel Bott from the Lansing State Journal will be joining us as well to talk about Michigan State and the Hoosiers. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes on your phone every single day. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow. We'll see you then.